0: Hi, I'm Joel Garcia. Welcome to the Pop Culture Shuffle. On today's show, I have a few things to talk about. First up, the big game is almost here, who do I think will win it? Zen. I finally found another piece of fan fiction relating to the winner games. And finally, I bid farewell to a broken video game console. But first, are you ready for some football? So after last week's Pro Bowl, which sucked by the way, seriously, if you're not going to even tackle them, what's even the fucking point? We now have one more game left in the season. And that would be the big one between the LA Rams and Cincinnati Bengals. Now here's the weird thing. Despite the fact that they're playing at the Rams' home stadium, the Bengals are technically the home team. The reason for that is because the rotation of the Super Bowl goes between the NFC and AFC. Last year, it was a complete coincidence that the Buccaneers were both the home team and they were playing at their home stadium. So that is why the Rams will be wearing their white away uniforms and the Bengals are wearing their home uniforms, which in this case appear to be the all black attire. This is the first time that, well, this has happened in Los Angeles since 1993. Now that game was between the Bills and the Cowboys at the Rose Bowl. If you're wondering why they played the game at the Rose Bowl, it's a long story involving the state of Arizona. Now, of course, there's a lot to consider about this game besides its location. This game is actually taking place during the Winter Games. Now, the interesting detail about this game airing on NBC was that it wasn't supposed to air on NBC this year. The agreement they had with the NFL meant that CBS would air this game, but when NBC realized it would take place right in the middle of the Beijing Winter Games, they decided to switch with CBS. So CBS got last year's game, and NBC will get this one. The only other thing to mention about the broadcast is that it might be Al Michaels' final football game. There have been reports, and something that's basically not a rumor anymore at this point, that NBC wants to replace Al Michaels with Mike Tirico. Of all the many hosts that ESPN has had on Monday Night Football since they acquired the the broadcast in 2006, he's been one of the longer running hosts. And it was weird that he went from ESPN which he had say basketball and football but then jumped to NBC where because of Al Michaels the best he could do was cover Notre Dame football which he has been doing for the past few years. And in some ways it's understandable why NBC wants to put Mike Tirico into the broadcast because he's basically become the replacement for both Al Michaels and Bob Costas. So if anything, it does feel more and more like Mike Tirico will eventually just become the new announcer for Sunday Night Football. Which will leave Al Michaels, well, up in the air. Will he stay with NBC as an analyst? Will he go to Amazon for their coverage of Thursday Night Football? What will he do? It's a mystery. Still, I always remember him for the fact that he was traded for a rabbit. If you have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, on the very first episode of this show, I talked about the time that a living human being was traded for a cartoon rabbit. Now going back to the game, there is a lot to consider between these teams. For the Rams, it's the first time they've been here since, well, 2018, when they badly lost to the Patriots in a game that had nothing but defense. And I know people love defense, but honestly, it was the most boring game I ever saw. If it wasn't for the commercials, I would've seriously changed the channel and watched something else. There's also a lot on the line for the Rams when it comes to this game. It's the first one they have at SoFi, and after seeing both the Lakers and the Dodgers win their respective championships, it's about time for Los Angeles to get the Lombardi Trophy. Well, at least from a football team that's actually in the city. Los Angeles does have a Lombardi Trophy, when the Raiders won it in 1983. Also, there are just a lot of great players that really deserve to finally win it all. Especially Matthew Stafford, who after years of being stuck in Detroit, finally has a chance to win. Now some might say that that wasn't the problem in Detroit, but when you look at how well he's done without Detroit, yeah, he wasn't the problem, the team was. You also have Odell Beckham Jr. and Aaron Donald, but for me, Eric Weddle. As someone who followed Eric Weddle during his time in San Diego, because as I've mentioned before I'm a Chargers fan, it's just great to see him back out there playing. Now when it comes to their opponent, the Cincinnati Bengals, now there's a lot on the line for Burrow. Last season he was considered by many to be a bust, and I remember seeing the first game he played because it was right up against the Chargers without Phillip Rivers for the first time in a decade or so. And I recall that time thinking, oh no, he's a failure, but now he's in this game and he's only one win away from having a Lombardi in his hand. So in a way there's a law on the line for Burrow because people see him as probably one of the few times in which a success like him could actually make it. Because we've seen a lot of quarterbacks who managed to win the national championship and then failed to perform in the NFL. Now, of course, the other detail for the Bengals is that this is the first time they've been here since the 80s. Coincidentally, the last time they were ever here, it was against the 49ers, the team that just barely lost to the Rams. Now, the Bengals, of course, have had their ups and downs. In fact, when the NFL made a top 10 of the worst teams, rather than, say, put a specific season of the team in the 90s, they just put the entire decade. And then of course, in the 2000s, there was the issue in which, oh sure, a team would win just enough to make it to the wall card, only to then immediately get eliminated. I think my favorite of these failures came from when, in 2016 if I recall correctly, the Bengals were only minutes away from going to the divisional round, only for a series of mistakes and errors to cost them the whole game. So in some ways it's a good thing to see them finally make it to the big game. Now the question comes down to, can they beat the Rams? The Bengals have been shown to be an underdog this entire postseason, somehow managing to beat every single team they faced. They beat the number one and number two teams in the AFC. And now, they're here. This is honestly a very tricky game to consider because you have one team that everyone wants to see win, the home team, but then you have the other team that's basically become the wall card in a figurative and literal way. Because you never know what team you're going to face. For all we know, at halftime, the Rats will be winning by 30, but then maybe by the end of the game, the Bengals will win by 40. Anything can and will happen in this game and I am here for it. When it comes to my pick, well, I'm going to have to go with the home team in this case. And my home team, I mean the actual home team, the Rams. So once again, I'm picking the Los Angeles Rams to beat the Cincinnati Bengals in this game. Next week, we'll find out if I'm right or wrong. But for now, whose house? Rams house. I'm really disappointed when it comes to looking at fanfiction relating to the games. Now sure, there is a lot of it, but most of it relates to Mario and Sonic. And I could do a fanfic selection about Mario Sonic again, but honestly most of them were either poorly written or disturbingly dark. Some of them are just, oh, X or Y character reacts to Mario and Sonic at the games, and that's pretty much it. I tried looking up several other stories that could be highlighted, such as say, oh, how about the games in a specific city, or how about the sport. And most of them were for things that were based on characters I've never even heard of. Like I found a lot of stories relating to this anime called Hetalia Axis Powers which I have no idea what the hell it is, other than the fact that apparently in this show, the countries are represented by actual people. And I have no idea what the hell that is, and frankly, if I were to highlight that fanfiction, I would be utterly lost. At least when I highlighted the Harry Potter Grey's Anatomy crossover, I was somewhat aware of the characters from Grey's Anatomy. Not so much with Hetalia Axis powers. There were a few I looked up relating to Twilight, which I know a bit more about, but they were mostly dull and forgettable. I even found a story relating to the 2014 Sochi games, but it just turned into a homophobic mess in which the writer apparently hates everybody. And I do mean everybody, from Vladimir Putin all the way down to TJ Oshi. Also, the majority stories, as I brought up a few months ago, are for the summer games, and there's a relatively smaller amount for the winter games. I did my best to look up a story relating to the winter games, and eventually, I was able to find one. Even if it's melee in the same range as figure skating. In this case, ice dancing. Now, this selection is a story titled Going for Gold. By the author, Right To You. All in one word with dashes. And it's a fanfic based on the Flash TV show. Now there's not much to say about the Flash TV show. It's about the fastest man alive. His friends trying to save Central City and keep it safe. And I briefly talked about how much I'm not a fan of the later seasons. In fact, the season is airing right now. I'm not watching it at all. I was planning to watch it eventually on streaming, but nothing has convinced me to go back and see it. Not even that Armageddon crossover event. Now the reason I'm not bringing up a lot about the show is because it has nothing to do with this fanfic. It's an alternate universe fanfic. If I have not brought up beforehand, alternate universe fanfics are essentially stories in which you have say... Characters from one TV show, film, or comic book transplanted into another story. In this story's case, it's a bit more straightforward, in which it's just the characters, but in a brand new original story. I also need to bring up the other detail about this story, mainly, well, it's one of those ship stories in which you have two characters being shipped together. Now in this case it's not one of those angry upstead fanfics but instead more of a what if. In this case, it's a ship between Barry Allen, a.k.a. The Flash, and Dr. Caitlin Snow, a.k.a. Killer Frost. Now, for those who don't follow the TV show, you might be a little confused by that, considering how Killer Frost, in most adaptations, is a bad guy. Not a TV show where she's actually an ally of The Flash. What I find weird is the ship name used by fans. Snowberry. I'm guessing maybe Killer Barry just sounds off, but then again, why give her the nickname and just leave Barry's name there? Now, when it comes to this AU fanfic, here's a synopsis Snowberry AU. Caitlin and Barry are two ice dancers who have their first shot at the Olympics. But is there a possibility for more than just a medal in their future? What I find weird about this story, even before taking a look at it, is the formatting. At first I thought it was a simple one shot story, one of those stories in which everything is done within a single chapter and that's it, but it does seem like there are supposed to be chapters in this story since at several points the author stops to say line breaker. I'm honestly not sure if you are supposed to have a separate chapter for these segments since some of them are too short to be their own chapters. Once again, we're going to skip a bit into the story, because there's some interesting segments I wanted to highlight. So with that said, here's a snippet from the story, Going for Gold. Two days of stress, more sleep than she had gotten in weeks, and so much practicing. Caitlyn found herself back on the ice in front of the cheering, excited crowd. It was the day of the free dance, and Caitlyn was beyond ready. She and Barry had practiced both on ice and off, the latter multiple times, and had run the same few tricky moments in their free dance so many times that Caitlin felt as though she could do them in her sleep. The music that she and Barry had chosen for their free dance may have seemed a little strange to most people, but to them it was impossibly special. They had picked two songs, one which would just start, the other would join in, and then the first would come in again to end out the performance. One of them was the Even Fast Car Medley by Colby Kalat, and it was the first song that Barry and Kaylin had ever danced to together, on the ice at the public skating rink back in 2011. The second song, You Ruin Me by the Veronica's, was the first song that Kaylin had ever ice danced to, period. Barry couldn't remember the first song he skated to, considering he had extremely little and hadn't made an effort to remember, so he went with Caitlyn's. It was a slow, smooth, heartbreaking piece, and Caitlin loved it, even after hearing it played again and again during her and Barry's practices. Both songs of course were slightly remixed to fit each other in time frame better. The medley transition to fast car came at the very end of their performance which just gave it a nice, tied-in feel. Caitlyn took a deep breath, smoothing the fabric of her blue dress. It looked like a flower, deep dark blue at the bottom hem which fell just above her knees and then an the umbra of the dress to light blue. The straps wrapped around her neck and was completely open in the back to almost her navel. It was modeled after Tara Lipinski's dress at the 1998 Olympics, as was her hair which was in a tight bun with a blue ribbon wrapped around it. Caitlin stationed herself on the ice, one hand on Barry's shoulder and their fingers clasped between them. They had decided, probably nostalgically, to start this dance the same way they had seven years ago. It still somehow gave Caitlin butterflies, and the feeling of how they were finally going to be doing their first dance ever together on Olympic ice almost made her want to cry. Good luck. Barry whispered, you too. The first plucks of guitars started and Caitlyn spun away from Barry. The dance was much slower than some of the ones before them. They were the second to last to go and Caitlyn knew that even if they got first place on this dance, there was no guarantee that they would get gold, but she was ready to do her best and make absolutely sure that she would not be looking back on with any regrets. The part that Kayla was most worried about came after their twizzle sequence during the chorus of Break Even. It was when the song transitioned to You Ruin Me. It got more fast paced, and as soon as the words started, she and Barry went through the hardest part of her performance. The piano signifying the beginning of the new song started, and Caitlin took a deep breath. She kept a smile pasted on her face as she slipped forward two steps and stepped up onto Barry's thigh. He dropped into a lunge, the toe of his back foot just barely touching the ice, and Caitlin extended herself so she was parallel to the ground. She had followed more in that, in practicing that one move, than she had on anything else she had ever done. They only had one point of contact other than Caitlin's foot on Barry's side. Caitlin felt Barry's wrap around her calf as they glided for a moment and then gently spun back to her feet. The crowd went completely crazy, and Caitlyn couldn't help but grin. They had done it. She and Barry slid across the ice as the song broke into its chorus, spinning around and around and keeping a tight grip on each other's hands. Caitlyn extended her legs, so she was balancing only on one foot, and the two of them broke into three quick spins. By the time the song changed back to Fast Car, Barry and Caitlin were back in the center of the ice. Caitlin twisting herself over Barry's shoulder for her big finale. The song ended and the cheers of the crowd reached Caitlin's ears. She broke into a grin, barely able to stop from screaming in excitement, and the block that had been holding back all of her emotions broke. Barry fist pumped the air with a triumphant cry and they collided in a hug. Then he pulled back, cupped her face, and kissed her. Everything in Caitlin went deathly still. Then it exploded again in an even more intense flurry of emotions, different than the one before. She kissed him back hard and wrapped her arms around his neck. The hoots and whistles from the audience finally broke them apart. Caitlin pulled back, breathless and exuberant and happy that she had been in her entire life. As she and Barry took her their bows and skated off the ice, she came to the conclusion that no matter what their score was, no matter what medal they got, if they got one at all, this was the happiest day of her entire life. They gave triumphant hugs to coach Wells and Henry Allen and then sat down to await their score. Barry's legs started to bounce and she took his hand, intertwining their fingers. Barry Announcer spoke. Scored 128.01 on their free dance. Caitlin's eyes widened as she stared at the board. This score, added to their 77.82 in the short dance, put them at 205.83 points. First place. Caitlin let out a squeal, and Barry spun her around in another hug, the two of them buzzing with excitement. No matter what happened, even if the Canadians got a higher score than them and won gold, they were going to go home with a medal. As they waited for Tessa Virtue and Scott Moir to start their dance, Caitlyn and Barry made their was to the enclosed area where the Shibutani siblings, Maya and Alex, were sitting. The two of them had been pushed down to silver by Barry and Caitlyn's score, and Caitlyn honestly didn't expect them to be very friendly. But they just smiled in greeting and nodded at another bench for them to sit. You guys did really good, Caitlin complimented. I mean, you always do really good, but today was especially good. Barry nudged her, and she fell silent, realizing that she might have been gushing. She couldn't help it; she was a huge fan of Maya and Alex's. At least it wasn't as bad as that time she had run to Tara Lipinski at one of her competitions. She was the American gold medalist at the 1998 Winter Olympics, and the woman that Kaylin had seen on television when she was the eight and inspired her to start figure skating. She had nearly started crying; she was so overwhelmed. Kaylin wondered if she would ever be that much inspiration to another young girl watching her on television as she danced with the men that she loved. The Canadians had an incredible dance. Kaylin had the feeling deep down they were going to win gold and to be completely honest, she believed that they deserved it. As they sat with Alex and Maya, Caitlin felt Barry take her hand again. She squeezed it, smiling at him excitedly. The announcer read off the scores. Canada won gold, but Caitlin couldn't have been more excited if it had been her. She watched Tessa and Scott jump around and hug their team, before Barry's arm wrapped around her and they were a bundle of triumphant excitement too. As she stood with him on the silver medalist podium, Keelan couldn't help but think that she wanted this moment to go on forever, with the stadium lights glinting off her shiny new silver medal, and Barry's hand firmly wrapped around hers. Now you probably noticed where the alternate universe element comes from that fanfic, mainly by how Barry and Caitlyn don't have their superpowers in this story. In fact they're just normal people. I don't want to repeat myself that much but I'm honestly not a big fan of these type of stories. Where we have these characters from one universe but then we put them somewhere else and they're completely out of character. To me it reeks a bit of a writer scared of their original stories so rather than say write an original story They just write the story, but then drag and drop their favorite characters. I think a good comparison would be to say something like, the characters from Harry Potter running a coffee shop. There's nothing special about this coffee shop, there's no Wingardium coffeeosa. No, it's just Harry, Ron, Hermione and the others making coffee. Maybe the occasional rivalry with a nearby Starbucks operated by a guy named Baldy Mort. That in no way demeans the story, and in fact, I liked it. I liked the details the author put in, especially when bringing up real world skaters, including Tara Lipinski. In that way, it reminded me a lot of the Percy Jackson story in which, well, they brought up real life swimmers and divers, like Michael Phelps. If anything, the only flaw this story had was not knowing where the games took place in 2018. At one point the story is acknowledged to take place in the quote-unquote Korean 2018 Winter Olympics, unquote. Which is technically correct, yet at the same time, it doesn't say the location. Just to clarify, the 2018 Winter Games took place in Pyeongchang. This is a very entertaining story, and I do like the fact that it's a great way to set up these two together. Now while that may never happen, especially considering that over on the Flash TV show we know that Barry and Iris have two kids, it's still a good story and I really like it. I really like how the writers said other Flash characters in different roles, coach, support, best friends, and it feels very consistent and not out of place. The only other issue I had with the story were the line breakers, where it felt like there's supposed to be chapters, but the author just put them all in one giant page. But other than that, this is a great story, and I highly recommend checking it out, especially if you're a fan of Barry and Caitlin. Also, it's still better written than the Flash TV show. Going for gold by right to you is to be able to read on fanfiction.net. Finally, I want to talk about the Wii U. Now for some of you, you might think of the Nintendo Wii U as, oh yeah, that thing that came out before the Switch but after the Wii. Others might see it as a failure, except for maybe one or two games. The Nintendo Wii U was merely a failure, and it's something that I will admit with some shame. I was one of those people that get the Wii U when it first came out. Not not on day 1 of course, it was gifted to me as a Christmas present, and at the time I thought this is the best thing ever. I loved the ability to use the gamepad as its own controller, how you can play the game from this screen, like it was something new to me. It also helped that the console was still backwards compatible with the, the Wii, so all the games I had for the Wii, I could just put them here. Unfortunately as time went on I did acknowledge how much of a failure it was. By the lack of support from other companies, the fact that there were no major games coming to the system, no Madden, no Grand Theft Auto, nothing. All those good games were on the other two consoles. And it's a bit of a shame because I would have loved to play those games. And there were reasons for why it didn't happen. Either due to the Wii U's horsepower, the fact that they didn't want to play the games for this controller, and I have to admit that's probably a fair point since... I would find it weird to say play Grand Theft Auto with a Wii U gamepad. But there were a lot of innovations with that system and something that my brothers and I loved. I vividly recall seeing my little brother play with the Wii U gamepad since one of the major advantages it had was that you could simply take the game from the TV, put it on the gamepad and now somebody else can use the TV. For the longest time that was the one thing he loved about it. He didn't like the fact it had to be near the console but he liked it. And as time went on, the more and more I just became less invested in the Wii U. Especially when I heard that, well, the Nintendo Switch was coming out, and then I heard that, well, these games from the Wii U were being ported over to the Switch. So eventually, I slowly started getting rid of my Wii U games. Every single game that I knew was coming to the Switch, I just sold off. For the longest time, I only had one Wii U game remaining that wasn't a digital copy. By 2017, the console was just, well, packed up. I put it away because, well, there was no room for it and I had to put the Blu-ray player somewhere. And that was the other thing. Despite the fact that the other consoles had built-in DVD and Blu-ray players, Nintendo didn't do that. Which, admittedly, helped keep costs down. But there's a reason why the PS2 continues to be the most successful console this very day. Because it had a built-in DVD player. So where am I going with all of this? Well, recently I finally decided to take out my old Wii U and finally just simply take as much data as I can out of it and just see okay, all of these games are still on this console, might as well delete them and sell the system. Sadly, when I went to check out the system, it broke. Like, at some point between putting it away and opening it up five years later, the disk drive itself was broken. I did try my best to get the device fixed, but unfortunately, in 2022, there was just no way to repair the system. So, in the end, it was just a case of simply getting rid of it. At first, I tried to trade it in, but naturally, nobody wanted a Wii U in 2022. And at best, I would have gotten maybe $2. So, eventually, I sold it off on eBay, and despite one failed attempt because the buyer didn't pay me, I finally got rid of it recently. A system that cost around $300 when it was first sold, I wound up selling it for around $60. $80 if you count shipping. As for that last Wii U game, I sold it on its own and it made around $10. It's a bit unfortunate because I really had hope that it would be far more successful, that I could fix this system, delete everything off of it, it was just mainly old games I had. So to whoever bought the Wii U, I hope you enjoy the system and maybe you could fix the disk drive and get the thing working and hopefully you'll enjoy all those games that are somehow still in there. As far as I know it's just a handful of old virtual console games and maybe The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. I am disappointed the Wii U failed, but then again there were a lot of things holding Nintendo back. From the fact that they shared the same name with the older console, the confusion that the Wii U was just an adapter to the old Wii, and just the lack of third party support. Thankfully Nintendo didn't collapse because there were still a few other successes. You had the 3DS and it was still going well, as well as a handful of good games. And honestly, it was those two things that helped Nintendo stay alive. Now some might compare the situation to the Sega Dreamcast, but there's a difference. At least with Nintendo, they still had other things to fall back on. They had Super Smash Bros, which sold relatively well, even with that GameCube adapter, as well as the 3DS. Sega, on the other hand, had nothing to fall back on. The Dreamcast was basically their all-in attempt, and it failed. So that's why nowadays, you see Sega as a third-party company, whereas Nintendo is still picking. It also helped that their next console, the Nintendo Switch, essentially combined the two systems, where the handheld and home elements were in the same device. So while I may be disappointed that the Wii U failed, and that my own console broke, all I can say is, at least I have New Super Mario Brothers U on the Switch, and many other old Wii U games. Rest in peace Wii U, you just weren't that good enough for gamers. that is all the time we have for today's show if you would like to know when the next episode comes out remember to follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite stream provider you can also follow me on instagram and twitter at mr nine until next time thank you for listening